0: You're listening to the Diplomats podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda from New York City. And I'm delighted today to be joined by the Diplomats editor in chief, Shannon Tiesi. Shannon, thank you for joining me.
1: Always a pleasure, Ankit.
0: Well, as our listeners can probably anticipate, uh, this is the first podcast since we've gotten um, determinate results in what has been a rocky U.S. election. And actually, today we're recording this on November 13th. And China. And along with most of the rest of the world, uh, has acknowledged that Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. Um, so, I'm planning on a few episodes uh, around this theme, basically, because I know this has been, uh, there's been a lot of demand, first of all, from listeners. I apologize for uh, not recording an episode for a bit. Uh, things have been hectic, um, but we will try to cover the implications of the U.S. election outcome for various parts of Asia, beginning today with China. And of course, uh, always when I talk ch- China, uh, there's no one I'd rather have on than Shannon. So, Shannon, thanks a lot for being here.
1: Yeah, Ankit, I always love joining the podcast.
0: So I think the place to start is there's a view out there that Joe Biden's election victory signals a return to policy in Asia, policy towards China, really picking off where things left off in in 2016, or really January 20th, 2017, when the Obama administration left office. I have some doubts about that. I'm wondering what you think about that when it comes specifically to China. Have, have Democrats... Uh, moved on from where they were back then? Or uh, or is China policy going to look a lot like it did under Obama? Uh,
1: I can understand why people might think that. Um, particularly, there have been a lot of concerns raised by analysts based in Asia who are hoping for a a tougher US-China stance. Um, And it's because a lot of the people affiliated with the Biden campaign and being rumored for prominent positions uh, in a Biden cabinet are Obama administration stalwarts. Um, Obviously, Biden himself was Obama's vice president. So you have a lot of the same figures expected to staff Uh, agencies at state, uh, the Department of Defense and things like that, of course, it's what we typically do is we would go back and look at these people's histories to try and predict what they're going to do in the future, right? Um, So people are thinking, is this going to be Obama 2.0 on China? Um, I agree with you. I don't think that's particularly likely. Um, The general mood in the U.S. toward China has soured immensely, uh, particularly in 2020, but really, I think since around 2015, uh, 2016, right around the time of the Obama administration was coming to an end. And there's a really deep bipartisan consensus that I think all of the Biden figures would probably fit into now that has said okay china's actions have gotten more blatant more assertive um and the response that we had in the past to deal with this is clearly not working so we need to do something new so i do think we are going to see a new approach on china um what that actually looks like obviously is the big question
0: hmm yeah and that, that I think uh, takes us nicely to um, another point that I wanted to bring up, which is that we have this interesting, so you, know, you point to a bipartisan consensus. Uh, what we know from the Obama era is when we have a Democratic president and what is likely to be, we don't know until the Georgia runoffs come in, uh, likely to be either a Republican-controlled Senate, 5248, or a very narrowly Republican-controlled Senate. Um, what does that tell us about the, the kinds of uh, Senate confirmable appointments we might see in a Biden cabinet. I mean, it seems like anybody maybe favoring a return to the Obama era style engagement and managing competition with China might not be favored, but Republicans might be willing to play ball with Biden on on certain items on the China agenda. What's your expectation there?
1: Um, in terms of confirmations, I think the biggest thing it, that a Republican Senate would do is probably torpedo uh, poor Susan Rice's bid from becoming secretary of state again. Mm-hmm. They already in the Obama administration, they already had to drop that um, and just make her national security Advisor because Senate confirmation was a bridge too far. I think there's a lot of room for cooperation. Um, between a Biden administration and a Republican Congress. Um, as much as Trump has tried to create this image of himself as being tough on China, we've also seen some unwillingness on his part, um, some delays at actually signing into law some of these bills that pass Congress with huge margins, uh, imposing sanctions on human rights violations in Hong Kong and against the Uyghurs. Um, So I think a Biden administration is probably going to be more willing to work with Congress on these laws rather than the impression that I always got from Trump was he was signing them because he felt like he had to. Uh, You don't want to have an embarrassing veto uh, override on a China issue where he's trying to paint himself Mm -hmm. as tough. Um, I, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of Substantial pushback from the Republicans on anything Biden wants to do on China. I think more what we're going to see is accusations that he's not doing enough and he's not being tough enough. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's talk a little bit about trade, which uh, I know is uh, a big issue for uh, not only investors around the world, but uh, but certainly I think um, you know uh, the American people, Congress, uh, very much interested in. What is going to happen with the Trump administration-initiated trade war and trade wars, not just with China, but including with many of our allies? But on the on the China piece of this, um, so Biden has said a lot uh, during the campaign on on trade policy, uh, and the general expectation seems to be a move away from tariffs as as a tool of trade warfare and a greater focus on non-tariff barriers, things like supply chain integrity, integrating. Uh, like-minded democracies in a um, in a, a network of economic cooperation, is that is that the right framing through which we should be thinking about this issue? Or or are you expecting any uh, any surprises from a Biden administration? I think one issue is to um, you know which I'm not particularly optimistic about is, with will the Biden administration rethink the value of multilateral trade agreements in Asia? And of course, this is a great week to talk about that with moves happening on the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, uh, which the U.S. is not a part of, and of course. Uh, The Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership has also moved on in Asia um, after the Trump administration withdrew uh, in its first week in office back in January 2017. So what's your uh, expectation on the U.S.-China trade front under a Biden presidency?
1: I think that um, Biden is going to try to partner more with U.S. allies um, in confronting China, whether that's on security issues or economic issues. He's made that abundantly clear So I think one of the biggest things we're going to see is the Trump administration had kind of a scattershot approach to these tariffs, right? Which is they're not only putting tariffs on China, um, you also had tariffs on, you know, steel imports from a large number of US allies um you just had vietnam declared a currency manipulator when the united states is also trying to recruit vietnam to join its you know indo-pacific strategy coalition um and you you had trump threatening sanctions uh, or tariffs on automobile imports from japan and the european union you know really kind of undercutting any hope for an allied multilateral approach to these China trade issues. So I think what Biden is going to do first and foremost is roll back the sanctions on u.s allies and partner com- countries whether he actually rolls back the sanctions on china is a trickier question because again that's going to be ripe for republicans to say oh he's cozy on china he's not tough enough um so that that we're going to have to wait and see i certainly don't think he's going to impose any new ones in the immediate term mm-hmm. well- um as for trade agreements. Uh, I don't think that's going to be top of the priority list. He's he's expressed interest. Uh, he's tried to frame this as these deals are happening, and it's better for the U.S. if we're part of them than on the outside looking in. But you know, with the Republicans having shifted under trump to not show much interest in these deals um and the democrats have always been fairly skeptical of them because of the concern that they're going to cost u.s jobs uh i think we might see some interest in starting negotiations but actually signing on to tpp uh, is going to expend a lot of political capital for biden and that might not be at the top of his priority list
0: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, neither major party in the United States is really uh, interested in multilateral trade, uh, even though Biden is generally interested in multilateralism on a a range of issues, unlike the Trump administration. Um, You know, you made an interesting point, which was that um, a lot of, uh, not just on trade, but Biden rolling back certain Trump administration moves on China will very easily, I think, be framed as, oh, look, the Democrats are soft on China, they're rewarding Xi Jinping. Um, And this is also interesting in the context of the transition that we're now undergoing. And, you know, calling it a transition is a little strange because the president, of course, hasn't conceded the election yet. And um, Biden hasn't officially been acknowledged by the federal government to be president elect, uh, granting him access to uh, federal facilities and funds. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, there is this concern that Trump might take dramatic actions on China, Taiwan, other issues that could lock Biden in to a certain course of action. And then releasing any of that pressure will then be turning into a political football in Congress. Anyways, so is that something that worries you, the possibility of Biden being locked in by, by certain late actions by Trump during this lame duck period? Or is that something that's been overblown a little?
1: I I think it's a possibility. Um, I mean, first, for that to happen, you would have to have an acknowledgement from the Trump administration that this is going to be a lame duck period, which, as you said, even Pompeo has... Uh, supposedly joked uh, that we're going to have a second Trump administration Uh, and and we saw just this week uh, the first executive order that Trump issued on China since the election result was called you know where he's moved forward to ban US investors from putting their funds into companies linked to the Chinese military. I don't think we're going to see anything major. Uh, You know, there were some rumors pre-election that the U.S. was going to attack one of the Chinese islands in the South China Sea. And, you know, you're definitely getting into the ludicrous at that point. But all of these little actions do take a toll. Um, So every executive order that Trump signs on, you know, restrictions on Chinese companies, let's say, you know, all of the uh, the sanctions on Huawei in particular or on Chinese surveillance and other tech firms um, banning U.S. investment in these Chinese companies, they all would potentially need to be undone by a Biden administration. And every single one of those opens Biden up for criticism, right, from from Republicans and even potentially fellow Democrats who think that he's being soft on China and not being tough enough. So it puts Biden in a in a position where he has to look at this and say, OK, which of these do I actually want to overturn in this huge avalanche of actions that the Trump administration has taken? Um, I would say, though, there's also an opportunity there for Biden, uh, because he essentially will have a lot of leverage over the Chinese government. Uh, he can say, you know, I, I'm willing to overturn some of these. Um what are you going to do to make it worth my while? Essentially, um, he doesn't have to take the reputational hit of having enacted any of these punitive measures, because Trump's already done that. But he could potentially reap some of the benefits of overturning them. So there's actually an opportunity there um, if you know they're willing to work with Beijing. Mm-hmm. So
0: let's turn a little bit now to areas of cooperation uh, between the two sides. I mean, the the Biden administration, I think, um, one of the important ways in which they differ from the Trump administration uh, will be their views on climate change, for instance. They've been quite clear that this is an area where they will have to cooperate with China and really uh, every other country in the world uh, to make any kind of difference. Um, so when it comes to issues like climate change, uh, nonproliferation, uh, North Korea, um, even managing COVID-19, uh, um, I believe they've uh, hinted at you know reopening the CDC office in China, Um what are the um what's your expectation for the, the way in which the biden administration is going to approach um cooperation with china in these areas where it is necessary while managing a competition and perhaps even intensifying competition in in other areas
1: i think that is a very tricky thing to do, if only because the Chinese government tends to cross-link these issues um, and say, well, if you are not willing to meet us halfway on trade or respect our core interests in Hong Kong and Xinjiang, why would we work with you on North Korea, for example? Um, I think one area that is really ripe for cooperation, though, as you mentioned, is climate change. And that's because... The Chinese government, I think at this point, recognizes it's in China's best interest to take aggressive action on climate change, both because China has its own environmental problems and China is very vulnerable uh, to issues like water scarcity um, and pollution and natural disasters um, with the flooding we saw along the Yangtze River this year, Uh, but also because there's a huge opportunity there for China to become a global leader in renewable energy and uh, have reap economic benefits from that. So I think the Biden administration needs to to get rid of the conception that a lot of Obama-era officials had that the United States needs to control China to make climate change commitments um and that it's in the United States' interest to do this. Uh, but it's something china needs to be convinced and bargained with to do uh, they need to drop <laughs> drop that attitude china doesn't need to be convinced to do this china is already doing this right of its own accord mm-hmm. it's kind of assumed the mantle of climate change leadership so this isn't something that you need to will bend here if china will make climate change progress it's more a matter of both our governments are committed to climate change progress how can we synchronize what we're doing to maximize the benefits for the world and here again i think multilateralism is going to be key obviously the european union has put a lot of effort into talking with china on climate issues if you can get the United States and the European Union and now Japan and South Korea, who have also made their own uh, promises about net zero carbon emissions, all in the room talking to China at the same time, then I think that'd be a very encouraging sign for uh, climate progress. And it's it's not something that, OK, we need to sacrifice what we're saying about Hong Kong, uh, for example, to get China to make these climate change commitments.
0: Yeah. No. Um. I think. I think. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that'll be. Uh. That'll be something. Uh, key to watch. Let's. Uh. Let's flip back to a few of the difficult issues. You know. You mentioned uh, Hong Kong a few times, and and Xinjiang. Um. So there'll be a lot of. Uh. I think a lot of eyes on how, the Biden administration is going to address these issues. Uh, Democrats traditionally have, um, to the extent possible, tried to incorporate a more values-oriented approach to the practice of American foreign policy, and certainly. Um, these challenges are uh, much greater now than they were uh, under under Obama, under, uh, under Obama at any time. Uh, and the campaign has been quite open about this. Uh, Biden, during one of the debates, uh, addressed these issues as well, uh, certainly uh, taking uh, a very strong strident stance uh, against uh, what's happening in Xinjiang and Hong Kong. When in office, though, I mean, priorities change, as you said. I mean, there is a cooperative agenda. There's also um, the issue of uh, focusing on other parts of the agenda with China, Ah, uh, so presidents often, you know, campaign in poetry and govern in prose. So how how will a Biden administration look to sort of thread the needle when it comes to pressuring China on on Hong Kong and Xinjiang? Will we see more sanctions applied on party officials complicit in human rights violations and the crackdowns in Hong Kong, or or uh, will we simply see a more uh, rhetorical uh, approach on these issues?
1: Uh, This is a very interesting question um, that I I don't think we have an answer to as yet. On the one hand, Biden has a long history, even dating back to, you know, his time in the Senate in 1989, right after the crackdown on the Tiananmen protesters, uh, of speaking out about China's human rights violations and of advocating for the United States to take a tougher stance on them. And as you said, during this campaign, he's spoken out um, on – what's going on in Xinjiang, um, the oppression of the Uyghurs and other Muslim Turkic groups, and also, uh, the, the national security line on Hong Kong and what that means for the country's you know, one country, two systems. Um, but on the other hand, he's always had kind of a pragmatist streak. And when he was vice president, he would speak out about these human rights issues, but he would also acknowledge that you know, there's only so much the United States can do, right? Like, It's it's incredibly, incredibly difficult for the United States to come up with a policy that is going to make China change how it's approaching Xinjiang or Hong Kong, because the Chinese government sees those as core national security issues that it doesn't have any room to change on. That's not to say that we shouldn't try and that there shouldn't be consequences for what China is doing. But I think that Biden is a realist in the sense that. He understands it's going to be very difficult to actually force change on these issues. And that might play into how far he's willing to go. Um, His campaign has has talked about sanctions. Um, It's criticized Trump for being weak on these issues and said that we need to have more sanctions. I think, again, here we're we can expect to see a more multilateral approach. Um, If the United States is able to get some of its European allies on board with some sort of punitive sanctions, um, that might have more of an impact on China.
0: Mm -hmm. And another issue, um, and I know we could do an entire podcast on this particular one, is um, the Taiwan issue. Uh, The U.S.-Taiwan relationship under Trump, I think, has been something that Generally, I think you know there were early concerns in Taiwan that they'd turn into a political football or a bargaining chip between the US and China. But of late, in 2020 at least, uh, I think things have turned around. I mean, you've just in the past few weeks seen the approval of major arms sales, um, which I think uh, you know there's more of a debate on the Democratic side of the aisle about the proper relationship with Taiwan going forward, the extent to which the United States should be um, making positive and affirmative efforts to retain uh, preserve the status quo in the Taiwan Strait. What's your expectation here under, under Biden? Uh, I know that this is something on which um, the Democratic Party is quite divided um, in terms of the proper course of action um, and what the U.S. should be doing. How do you think the president will uh, thread this particular needle?
1: Um th- yeah, this is going to be something to watch. And uh, our one of our Taiwan correspondent, Nick Aspenwell, wrote an article about this about how Taiwan uh, has had a kind of a bad experience with Democratic presidents uh, under, the, under the Obama administration. There's a lot of dissatisfaction in Taiwan, uh, particularly. When Tsai Ing-wen initially ran for president in 2012, when Obama was in power, she had some meetings with officials at the State Department in Washington, D.C., and they came out of that meeting and leaked to the press a sort of a negative opinion of her. So that created some bad blood. And then you have the Trump administration come out very strong for Taiwan, starting with before he's even inaugurated, Trump having a phone call with Tsai Ing-wen as president-elect. And people are already saying, you know, is Biden going to be willing to do that? And most people don't think that he will. So there, you can draw that comparison there. Um, and so you actually had Taiwan's foreign minister went on Twitter and and thanked the Trump administration for their support uh, for Taiwan uh, directly after Tsai Ing-wen congratulated Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on their victory. So there is a lot of uh, wistfulness, I guess you could say. Uh, Taiwan is not quite sure what a Biden administration is going to mean for them. Um, I think it's... It's tough to say right now um, because, again, a lot of the moves we saw on Taiwan were, were not due to Trump. They had, you know, Trump, I don't think, had any real hand in crafting Taiwan policy other than he wanted to be tough on China. And that translates into more support for Taiwan in this context. So we need to really see who Biden is bringing into his administration. Are they going to be some of these figures who have taken a more cautious line on Taiwan? Or because there are also plenty of Democrats who have robust support for Taiwan as a fellow democracy that you know values human rights and the rule of law and fairness. So I think there's room for actual more engagements, um, more value-driven diplomacy between the US and Taiwan. Um, But again, it's a question of, is this going to be a priority for the Biden administration the way people in Taiwan would like it to be?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's always, you know, good to have that reminder that um, the unofficial U.S. relationship with Taiwan is primarily led by Congress under the auspices of the Taiwan Relations Act. And we talked about bipartisanship on China. If there's anywhere where there's even stronger bipartisan agreement, it's on that relationship (laughs) with Taiwan. So that uh, that, again, I think is an encouraging sign. Uh, If you're if you're in Taipei uh, and and concerned about Chinese moves, Um, let's close out a little bit by talking about uh, defense. Um, So you know the Biden administration is going to be coming in under a obviously a very interesting fiscal environment uh, with uh, pandemic recovery really being the top issue on the agenda, and fiscal constraints on defense. Um, But broadly speaking, everybody I've talked to you know seems to think that this idea of uh, great power competition with China is here to stay, and uh, if anything, the Biden administration might de-emphasize. The Russia component of great power competition and up the emphasis on China. Um, and there's a lot of um, a lot of issues. I mean, Biden on the campaign trail uh, spoke a lot about how alliances were really agenda item number one when it came to foreign policy, shoring up American alliances. Um, if you're in Beijing um, and and you're just thinking about you know the uh, you know issues like the South China Sea, East China Sea um potentially you know uh the idea of a conflict or crisis in the taiwan strait uh the himalayas where china's been locked in uh, now in months long half a half a year of disputes with india over their disputed border uh how do you think beijing views the, the the prospects of a biden transition i mean is this something really just more business as usual and continuity as far as they're concerned or or is this um uh news that is to be welcomed in some ways
1: there is a lot of debate over who China preferred um to win the u.s election um and as as david Wertheim pointed out in his newsletter uh, i think it depends on who you personally back for presidential candidate right trump supporters say oh china wants biden to win because biden's soft on china and he's not going to do the things he needs to do to compete with china and biden supporters would say well china much prefers president trump because he erodes american power and he's destroying relations with our allies um I think probably views in china are are fairly divided on that too. And i th- i I think you can make an argument that this is really a lose-lose situation for them. You know, on the one hand, you have President Trump who is going to keep issuing these unexpected out of nowhere proclamations on Twitter about China. He's going to keep up with racist attacks um, about the Chinese virus and accusing China of creating COVID-19. Uh, and he's, you know, he's unpredictable, um, but he also has an incredibly hawkish administration. Uh, Pompeo is certainly one of the least popular figures in Beijing official circle these these days. Um, but then you also have Biden, who is who's basically pledging to do the thing that beijing has always most feared which is build up a multinational coalition to pressure china into changing its behavior Uh, i think we saw evidence of that concern when wang yi's uh, foreign minister wang yi's first trip uh after the COVID outbreak was to europe (laughs) where he tried pretty unsuccessfully, frankly, to convince the Europeans that you know their best interests were to be served by working with China, not by getting tough on China. Uh, and certainly the wolf warrior diplomacy approach has not been helping there. So I think honestly, China had a lot at stake in this election in that the outcome is going to seriously impact China, but it didn't have much to gain uh, from either result. It's just a matter of, you know, which type of unpleasant scenario is China going to be facing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for joining me today for this. Uh, I know it's still very early, and there's a lot of these questions that just don't have great answers yet that we'll learn more about as the transition proceeds, and certainly when um, we, we learn more about the personnel composition of a Biden administration. But I really want to thank you for uh, sh- uh, sharing your insight on these issues today.
1: Yeah, we're at the diplomat. We're going to be following this very closely. Uh, and you know, we've also been covering what what Biden means for China, what Biden means for Taiwan, what Biden means for Hong Kong. So you can click on over and check those articles out.
0: Absolutely. And uh, uh, like I said, at the onset, listeners, we'll do a few more episodes with um, editors at The Diplomat uh, covering various re- uh, regions of, uh, of the Asia Pacific region. The uh, plan is next to have uh, Sebastian Strangio on to talk a bit about the reaction uh, in and around Southeast Asia to the prospects of a Biden presidency. Uh, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you soon then. So check back in for more. Thanks for listening.